Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the catalyst that helps spark mid-career entrepreneurs with great potential to put their vision into action for big impact, intentionally adding energy at the right time, right way, and the right person allows impact to go interstellar and start off a cosmic ripple effect. Oh, this is going to be a good one. The multiple (laughs) effects of entrepreneurial success extends through generations. He is a renowned business coach, seven-time best-selling author, featured podcast guest speaker, and producer of the Social Movement TV series, which we're going to talk about today because you talk about having big goals. This is a big goal. Spoiler alert, big goal, changing the world. His grow, get, give philosophy and training holds the keys to success of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. He lives, loves, and adventures in Squamish, British Columbia, Canada with his wife, Sherry, and his two children. Please welcome the CEO and founder of Grow, Get, Give Coaching, Mike Skripnek. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, Gary, that's just a mic drop. I'll just walk out now. It's all good. What an intro. And I left out my virtual friend because we've been carrying on through COVID for our virtual friendship for over a year, and we get to meet each other in person here very soon. So I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait for that. It'll be awesome. So talk to me a little bit first about just your background, how you've gotten to where you are today. And then I want to talk about this social movement TV series because this is exciting stuff. (laughs) Well, My background, there's many paths, many roads traveled, but really, if you think of it, in some ways, I'm a bit of a reformed investment advisor. However, midway through my investment career, a dozen years ago in 2008, I was sitting in traffic. You know, it was actually snowing. It was September in Calgary, Alberta at the time. And I'm thinking how much I hate my job, or at least I wasn't getting any pleasure from telling people that the sky was falling. Here I was listening to myself on the radio with a spot I recorded an hour earlier, talk about Lehman Brothers going under. Mm. And I just wasn't enjoying, I didn't have a passion for my business. And it was kind of at that moment I said, I want to flip it on its head and move forward by, you know, giving. You know, how do I give in an industry that values hoarding more than giving? And I kind of, within a year, had set this goal to give back a million dollars to charity and do it within the investment management business. So I built a business for the next decade, roughly eight years on that premise. And we were able to give an astounding amount of money back to charity, help people plan and get more comfortable with their future. And then I was listening to these people who were on the verge of retiring and they'd already made it. And they would always say, I wish I knew this stuff 20 years ago. And then uh, they would go on to tell me all the other things that they would have done better or differently. And I just took that as a note, you know, as an indication, as a flag, a red flag and said, I got to go help that 20 years younger group. Right. And then so I left the industry, sold my business and started coaching. 
to help that yeah. 20 year younger entrepreneur connect their impact. So I, I love this phrase. It was so quick off your lips and yet it's something that's so profound. I wish I knew. Mm. And I just wrote down, I wish I knew dot, dot, dot. And I think about this and I was in my podcast with a similar question, which I don't want to spoil it now. I'll ask it later. But <laughs> when you think about this progress and it's interesting for you, when I talk to certain leaders and they say, yeah, this was kind of a progression. Things kind of happened to me. But you remember the day, the day it was snowing and you weren't happy with the work that you were doing and just shifted this pivot from kind of a financial focus and a wealth focus and that to a giving focus. Yeah. And you've been doing that ever since. Yeah. I mean, I was leaving my job, right, to go home to the life that I wanted to live. So I was spending... I don't know, 50 hours a week, not doing what made me happy and passionate. And, you know, I wasn't waking up with purpose. And so that moment was very clear to me. So talk to me a little about when you, you made that shift, how did you make certain decisions? Like, you know, I want to give away a million dollars and where you give that million dollars, because where you give it, I'm sure has some story behind it because we don't just arbitrarily you know, throw it to whatever charity you want to throw it at. So you've decided on where you want to give it. So how did you go through that process of making those decisions? Very interesting. Uh, so obviously, if I wanted to do that and help others, you know, fulfill that philanthropic goal and build that legacy, I, I had to work with people who were philanthropically minded in the high net worth, you know, or millionaire next door world. And I had to help charities because that was the connection. And so in 2008, if you remember, the entire financial system was crumbling and we were the vil villains. Um, my peer group wasn't very trusted. And so early on, I had this great goal, you know, with good intentions and wanted to be purposeful. And people didn't trust me and didn't want to do business with me. Mm. And so I thought, well, um, I need some more credibility than just I want to help and I know what I'm doing. And so I, I wrote my first book on philanthropy at that time. And it really was a discovery. It ended up being a discovery of the stages of philanthropy for Bill Gates and Oprah and Bob Geldof and Bono. And uh, in that, what I did learn, besides the fact that the moment I did it, magical books, magical, puts them on, put me on the same side as all the people, same side of the table as all the people I wanted to serve for starters. Uh, but more so, I also understood that you actually can't dictate other people's philanthropy. And I think early on, that was one of the difficult things. I was trying to figure out how to tell people to do things. Um, but really what it was is when people identified that this is important to me, um, then my role was really, how can we create leverage? How can we get a multiplier effect? How can we turn a $5,000 annual gift into a $500,000 gift, right? So what do we need to do that? And so once people identified um, you know, I, in a way, you could say I was charity agnostic. Um, I ended up really helping others fulfill what their charitable goals were. And, and so from that point on, I just, you can't really tell people this is the cause you need to get behind. Um, it's really what is the, your connection to what is important to you and how can we help you make a bigger impact? Well, so this is, this is fascinating. As you talk about this, it really strikes me when, when we talk about uh, leadership, and we talk about leaders, um, and I and I, I I talk to people about how effective their leadership is, and I say, well, your opinion is irrelevant. It's your followers that determine how effective your leadership is. And what you've just done is given an example of how your leadership 
realize is that whatever you wanted, whatever your focus was, wasn't nearly as important as the focus and the desires of other people that you were talking with and figuring out a win-win that could achieve what you wanted to achieve, but in a way that was consistent with what other people's desires were, what their goals were. You completely flipped your mindset from what do you want? What does Mike want to what do other people want? And then you started to realize, well, gosh, we can do this together. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, yeah absolutely. Isn't that almost the definition of our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so you can achieve our goals together with compassionate accountability. And, and what you did was you realized that your goal, you wanted to, you want to achieve this goal and you realize achieving a goal is the second step. It's building the relationship first. Yeah. And, and, you know, it would, it, it, looking back, you, you could say that that was the ultimate in serving leadership. Um, Prior to that, I had uh, was very serious about my business. I was excellent as an advisor, uh, but I was really proud of how smart I was. And the reveal when the tide goes out in, in times of crisis is that um, I didn't understand what my clients really wanted. And I had neglected in the process of becoming an expert at the time, mm. um, neglected to understand. So I took leadership as... I know, just follow me, I'll take care of you, and I keep reminding you why I'm so smart. And the revelation for me was that is the opposite. I'm in the room because they assume I know what I'm doing, right? Instead of justifying why I was there all the time and why we were so smart, which we were. We knew what we were doing, but it didn't know it mattered. It didn't matter to people when they were nervous about their personal uh, risk and loss and fears. That didn't matter, Right. And so once I understood the serving component, that it's about the people I was looking to serve, and I, you know, in a service role, I wasn't selling products, I'm helping people realize their goals. Um, Once I flipped that and spent all my upfront time learning what motivated them, what they wanted, and learning the language of all my future customers or current, um, then I was much more effective and I could help people. And then, and then people just said, okay, I'm in. There was no more, what's it going to cost? You know, all this, just like, how do we do this? Let's move forward. Like that was always the end before we stepped to the next step. And, you know, as a, and in a purest way of sales, you know, when people just say, sounds good to me, let's do it. Um, that's absolutely the best, <laughs> you know, no one's nitpicking over costs and I, you know, trying to dissect the products or the strategies. They just said, that is remarkably sound for what I need. Um, let's do it. Well, what you're getting consistent with your, each other's vision, forget about the details. Right. It's the vision. And as I go back and talk about your first book and, and I just, uh, I'm just going to make some assumptions here and you confirm that the book created an opportunity for you to put in writing your philosophy that let people know where your heart was at so that you can have at least a beginning level of credibility that people would start to listen. And then when they start to listen and you have a conversation with them, that's focused on them rather than what I, I love. There's two words. I, you, I tell people, I used to tell people why, because I'm so smart and I'm going to even extend that to say you are very, very successful, which simply adds to the arrogance of feeling smarter. You know, with the, I, obviously I'm smart. Obviously I'm great because I'm so successful. You know what? I, I know what to do. I tell my people, well, just do this. And you had to completely redefine your mindset 
through this process of, of realizing, well, great, you're smart, but you are not happy. Yep. I mean, I was driving my brand new Audi to my brand new home and, uh, you know, I was smart and successful. And on the surface, that's exactly what I would look like. <laughs> you, you, you are not enjoying life like um, what you can do now by focusing other people and, and on what they want and then realizing that it, it can all come together. We can do all this together. It doesn't have to be what I want or telling people what to do. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And then the wonderful result, the byproduct of that approach is conversations and relationships were about values and the things that are important to us. And I know how much when you work with people, you know, how important it is for you to get to the heart of it and to remove, you know, the, you know, the processes and remove all the, you know, the superficial stuff and get right to the heart of it. And we got to that point. I mean, prior to that phase of my career, I never would have considered telling my clients I love them. And then I felt more and more comfortable as the years progressed that I could say that to people I felt that way about. Mm. And, you know, you, you don't really do that in financial services. You don't say, oh, I, you know, good to see you. I really love you. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I started to have the freedom to do that. And when you could build that kind of personal relationship at a level of the trust and um, comfort, um, then it, it just, it, you know, books were magical. Um, getting to that next step was magical too. Well, I just had a meeting with a client this week uh, who I've been with for, for over a decade. And as we uh, hit some tennis balls and he put his hand on my shoulder when we were done, we we both had our shots. So we're good. And he said, I love you. Yeah. And I said, I love him back. And it's just, it's in business. People sometimes miss the opportunity, I think to build these kinds of relationships and, and integrate what we do in such a way that adds so much depth and breadth and, and, and humanness to everything that we do. So with that, let me segue into this, the bigger picture. <laughs> I mean, so a lot of people wake up, you know, I, I, my, my goal is to make good bosses into great leaders with compassion and accountability, but yours is to change the world. We're yeah. talking about, the, the, we're changing the world. So let's, Let's talk about, first of all, how did you get into this social movement and how, you know, describe a little bit about what's going on and what's coming up, what, what we're about to see here in the next uh, six weeks, because you've got this big project coming. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, you led off with the intro and it talked about cosmic ripple and interstellar impact. And, you know, uh, it's actually not light. I'm not saying that lightly. Um, I truly believe that the right people um, providing energy can create a cosmic ripple, a, a, an effect that extends beyond current time and space. In other words, there's a legacy component. Our generations, if I can help an owner become better, have financial success, have personal success, and have um, impact cause or charitable success, philanthropic success, um, that's a legacy then that their kid, their kids and their kids' kids, you know, it's like, you know, most people don't even know their great grandparents' first names. You know, if you think about it and most people sitting there will start scratching their head, you're going, yeah, I don't know, grand, great grandma, whatever. And that's, that's kind of tragic, right? 
So I'm, I'm kind of waking up every day hoping that my values are shared for generations and I'm going to make a point to do that. And so when you, I'm, your belief system's like that, it doesn't take a lot of people. I only need to work with 100 people over the next while. And I say 10 years, but social movement's going to you know, ramp that up. And that is that we'll have a multi-billion dollar world impact. And, you know, that wakes me up every day. And so impact is interstellar. It reaches beyond time and space of today. Um, and knowing that uh, maybe my role in all of that is the catalyst to help unleash it um, is really the kind of comfort spot that I've, I've found. And a process that I went through with the executive producer and creator of the social movement, Christopher Lavois, was a process by which he actually, we were just talking, uh, you know, he's trying to introduce the whole thing to me. And he put me through this little exercise that I thought was extraordinary. And it was, you know, matching dreams and quantifying the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and so I've adopted that into my own business as probably the one thing that was missing in moving people along to my training. Grow, Get, Give is a, is a philosophy. It's a training mechanism. It's a way for people to move um, through their business into uh, freedom and into philanthropy. But people need to understand that they have a bigger dream to reach. And getting that out of you and understanding that um, there is a way to achieve you know, audacious dreams um, is part of the process. And so I developed something called Total quantum impact. And that's just a process of understanding one's dreams and then providing the quantification of what's it worth and what are the steps we need to take to make them happen. And so Christopher kind of put me through the same process. And within a couple of days of a guy I didn't really know that well, um, you know, I was delivering homework to him. <laughs> I felt compelled. I didn't know why I was so compelled. He didn't ask for it. And yet I, I, and it was the thing that convinced me. I said, okay, well, this project means so much to me. Clearly I'm connected. Um, okay. I so let's hold on for a second. I want, I don't want to just run over this because I, there's got to be a moment here to, to get us a little insight into what he did, how he brought this out in you. If you can, if there's some questions that he asked or a conversation or what, how did he bring this out in Mike? I mean, what was his process and what's your process now? I'm sure you've adopted this, a similar approach oh. to this. And that's talk to us a little bit about that. I can't, can't miss this opportunity to give people some insight into this. Yeah. Yeah. So his process really um, kind of, I don't think it was a methodical uh, effort, uh, but he brought up some key things that he said changed his life and, and how he's moved from, you know, he was serving the NFL in marketing 10 years ago, and then now he's done 29 shows and the social movement is born um, with a goal to save the world in four days. You know, like that's a big deal and really connecting his legacy and basically how it drew out, how he drew it out of me. And it was probably great timing because I'd been serving and you know how this was last, last year in our role, we serve and serve and serve and serve. And I realized I hadn't been chasing my own great big dream, big audacious goal. And a year earlier, prior to COVID, I had um, been having a difficult time because somehow the message of the big goal that I wanted to achieve was really not being met well. 
And I was worried that maybe it was quantifying it. Maybe it was just saying a billion dollars and that was too big for people. Um, so I shied away from moving ahead with that. And then the conversation I had with Chris actually revealed to me that moment I had in 2008 when I said, well, how do I give back to charity? Um, and that million dollar goal and realizing within six years, I had doubled my annual contributions to charity or, or assistance to get people there. And my business was 10 times bigger. And in order to have exponential growth in my life and my business and philanthropy, I had to set up this massive goal. So it was my commitment at that moment to say, I'm going to help 100 people in 10 years, 100 mid-career entrepreneur owners, right? In 10 years, create a billion dollars worth of wealth and a billion dollars worth of impact. And, and so that was my commitment to a big dream. And now I can quantify that. What does that mean if I achieve it? And then the magical part was, you know, this is TV and you may be live streaming uh, in front of 10 million people all of a sudden, right? And so to become part of that, all of a sudden, a 10-year window turned into a one-year window. And so to reach all of my personal financial philanthropic uh, dreams, um, to have the impact I wanted to do, suddenly became a possibility through this vehicle called the social movement um, to happen in a year or two instead of 10. Yeah, so talk a little bit about the social movement, what that what what that uh, uh as uh, Vern Harnish talks about uh, that, that BHAG, big, yeah. hairy, audacious goal. Well, we're in, we're filming season two in June. Okay. Season one um, is already in the can. It will be live uh, aired on Labor Day this year. Okay. So no one's seen it. It's all still hush hush, but season two is proceeding at the beginning of June. And imagine this, especially with season two, is we're bringing together um, roughly 100 entrepreneurs, CEOs, executives, influencers, right? We're putting them in a room in teams of 10, and we're working on some of the largest challenges faced by the world today. The United Nations every year publishes a list of these challenges. We selected 10, and the groups are pursuing business, viable business opportunities and models um, that will make a dent, will make a difference, will change the world. And they're tasked with it for doing it, doing it in four days. So imagine you've got, you know, 10 people in a room who are extraordinarily motivated that pretty much view there are no limits, right? Anything is possible. And we're going to create business opportunities or business models in that period of time. And we just plop a camera in the room and watch the action happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, to be true to the legacy component, um, the first season was all about um, the young geniuses competing against the wise sages, if you will. Um, this is not quite with that same um, age demographic competition, but if you're a parent and you have a teen, you can bring them on and you can bring them on set and they may even be in the room solving the challenge with your group. So if you're a parent, the impression of uh, the importance of legacy uh, is pervasive throughout our project. And so you've got this legacy component. You've got the save the world component. Um, it's Mission Impossible style. So there's like covert operations here. and We're all Asian exes. So it's super fun. Um, but at the same time, you give everybody an, a platform to share their values, to share what's important to them and show genius at work. 
So without without giving anything away, can you give us a, an idea of the kinds of things, maybe from uh, season one, because that's already done, that uh, people could look for? Is, uh, like, give me an example, like uh, changing, uh, making sure everybody has water, you know, to oh, drink. Every you know? You know, season one had stop a hurricane in its tracks. I mean, oh. pretty audacious, right? Um, put electricity wirelessly um, everywhere in the world. Um, those are big deals. Um, this one is end cyberbullying, end racism, um, you know, end economic inequality, right? We have audacious, big time goals. And can we create viable, sustainable business models that then can continue on? Uh, can make a dent, uh, but be viable and sustainable. So it's not just a place where great ideas go to die. Like we're not creating great ideas and leaving them on the cutting room floor. Um, we have a mechanism by which these things are going to take off. We can't talk about those things quite yet. Um, but it's an extraordinary project that changes the way TV has done, and it will change the way people view what can be done when you harness the entrepreneur's spirit in a, in a sense of altruism and philanthropy. Well, we'll uh, make sure that uh, changing the world is probably going to be the name of this podcast. And uh, we'll, we'll put that in there with some links that uh, we can uh, give to our, our listeners that can hear about more about this, uh, the social movement and uh, the show coming up in, in Labor Day this year. And then, of course, uh, season two for next year. So that's uh, really great stuff. So, Mike, uh, I want to I want to finish off today's podcast, um, uh, not changing the world, but uh, might have an opportunity to give some people a little insight into I wish I knew if I if I'd only known this. So the question I ask every podcaster that comes on every guest is if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 20 years, 30 years ago. And it's a dear Mike. What would you tell yourself? That's easy. Do less, listen more. Do less and listen more. Yeah. I yeah. was very much intent on doing, doing, doing. And maybe, you know, over time, it looks like my bio or resume looks pretty damn good. But the truth is, it's a chip away, you know, over a lifetime, right? It's not all at once. But really, I think that that would have been the number one thing I would have taught myself is to do less and listen more early on in my life, in my early 20s. So maybe that's 30 years ago. Maybe if we listened more, we would have heard better. <laughs> you know? No question. And you might yeah. have, you know, learned something along the way. You just might have right. instead of telling people what to do, right? Yeah. yeah. That's great. You know, I think that also, you know, right now we live in a world of discord where it's discord with angst. You know, I've been listening to podcasts from a decade or more ago and I heard debates about very, very important things on very, very opposite sides. And they were healthy and they were constructive. And I love the fact that you can have healthy discord, um, healthy exchange of ideas, and learn more when you listen instead of just like hammering everybody. So, you know, maybe that's an aspirational thing to get back to, but I know we can do it. And I think that with that said, to help people listen, I came across an article in Harvard Business Review this week, and it said two questions leaders need to learn to ask themselves. And I'll share the first one. And that is, if I don't know why you believe what you believe, how can I know that you're wrong? If I don't know why 
you believe what you believe, then how can I know you're wrong? Right. Yeah, that's great. When you talk about healthy debate, which to me is the real definition of diversity in all things, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to get away from these labels of diversity, I think. All right. The labels of gender or race or ethnicity or language or nationality, all of these things that separate us as human beings. Mm-hmm. And we need to stop separating ourselves as human beings and connect ourselves, connect in ways that we, and if we have a difference of opinion, that's great. Let's have the conversation. Because if I can understand not what you believe, but why you believe what you believe, that's the key to it. We often go into the surface of this and say, well, what do you believe? And if we get that answer, we stop there and argue with the person that their belief is wrong or whatever it is. But if I understand why you believe what you believe, then until I understand that, how can I really say that you're wrong? Absolutely. And I've done this before. I've had many conversations about the fact that beliefs and facts, they're different. Yes. You know, And people's beliefs start at a very young age. That's a lifelong process. And facts get in the way of people's beliefs a lot of the time. And so, you know, to think that you're just going to change people's beliefs and engage at that level is certainly not the good starting point, right? Because you're not going to beat a fact into someone who believes strongly about something. It's just not going to happen. It's not. And then, you know, I'm trying to quote Ricky Gervais, actually, interestingly enough, because he said something about the fact that ideas, and I'm just going to butcher it because I can't get the quote right. It's about ideas not being human. They don't have a human presence. Ideas are just ideas. And he can make comedy out of anything, and he does. And that in itself may be offensive to people, but ideas are not human, right? Ideas are just ideas. Beliefs are just beliefs. And it's okay to have a healthy discord and a healthy discussion. And it's okay to poke fun. So... Anyways, (laughs) all of the above. I agree. We're going deep. And that's why the real understanding of the quote of the question is I have to understand why you believe what you believe, not just what you believe. Right. And to your point about, you know, facts versus beliefs, I don't argue with people over their beliefs, but I do take the time to listen to understand what they believe and why they believe it. And when I do that, that does make them human. Right. Because now I understand the individual. So you got it. With that said, my friend, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time today and talking to us about the social movement, the cosmic ripple, all the things that we've learned about leadership and life is what today has been about, really, and your attempt. And I know that your impact to change the world, it's appreciated. And I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here today, Mike. Gary, it's always a pleasure spending time with a good friend. I appreciate it. Mike Skripnik, the CEO and founder of Grow, Get, Give. You can find him on the website. I will put links, information, and so on in the show notes. And I really appreciate his time today. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for being with us again on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care. Be well and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. 
Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.